listening to Self-ish, finding me time when there's no time. In this episode of Selfish, we talk grief, family and mental health with children's author Mark Lemon. Mark, thank you so much for coming on Selfish. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners for anybody who might not know who you are? So my name is Mark Lemon. I am a children's author a podcaster. Um, I talk a lot about grief and mental health and um, I'm a, a dad and a husband. Yeah. You're, you're also a bereavement ambassador for Winston's Wish, I believe. That's right. Yes. That's pretty incredible stuff. Pretty incredible stuff. I also had a quick look at your books and they look amazing. Oh, thank you. Really, yeah. good, really good fun. There's <laughs> uh, one about a godmother, a fitness godmother. Yeah, there's Thea Lemon and her super sporty fairy godmother. <laughs> and uh, Thea Lemon and her super sweet fairy godmother. Yeah, so. Amazing. Yeah, all good fun writing them. Yeah. How many so, have you written so far? So, well, we've got four. So two Otis, two Thea. Uh, so Otis Lemon and um and Thea Lemon who obviously my children so um and then there's the magical wood as well which I wrote um back in 2018 so yeah that was the fifth one yeah wow so you are juggling quite a few things in the air as well as being a dad to two and a husband and on Selfish we talk about self-care and taking time for ourselves and we don't mean bubble baths and face masks we talk about (laughs) the real stuff, the kind of just taking that 10 minutes to, I don't know, enjoy a cup of tea in the garden or have a breath or just go for a walk. Um, What do you do to make sure, and do you do it? Do you do it? Do you take time out of your day for yourself? I, I purposefully get up a bit earlier than the kids, or that's the plan normally. (laughs) And I have a coffee and I just sit there downstairs in the living room and whether it's 15 minutes, half an hour, and I just try and sit there and just drink that and kind of, well, firstly, try and wake up, but <laughs> secondly, just sort of, just kind of, I don't know, have a bit of me time in a strange, you know, in that sort of way. And uh, actually my wife on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, she works um, outside of Bristol. So she has to get up um at six o'clock so we were but she goes i'm very sorry i'm i'm encroaching on your time (laughs) (laughs) um so while she's kind of doing stuff around i'm just sat there drinking this coffee but you know i I think that and also um running i find that really useful um ah amy fellow runner she's running the london marathon insane 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 It's now um, 151 days away. Not that she's counting. I've got a thing on my watch to remind me. So when I think I can't be bothered to go for that run, or I think I just would rather eat a bag of crisps, I glance at my watch and think, oh, it's 151 days. I better go for that run. Gosh. Running Um, is amazing, isn't it, for self-care? And I know a lot of people that we've talked to or comment, people have commented and, you know, said running's not self-care, running's horrendous. But it's really about doing what works for you, isn't it? What does running give you? I think it just gives me headspace. I'm, I am more of a morning person than, than an evening person, so I do prefer to to get up and just get. I, do you know what fresh air? Uh, just just moving my body. <laughs> um, yeah. But 
however, for however long it is, it doesn't have to be that long. It could be just 20 minutes just to know that I've kind of moved my body. I've sort of, it's, it's something subconscious around it that sort of allows yeah. me to, to, to sort of anything that's kind of worrying me or I'm thinking overly thinking about it sort of gets pushed to the back corners of my mind. And then it normally comes back, but in a different way yeah. and, and, and a less sort of scary way if it's being like that anyway. So it's given yeah. you a bit of time to get a bit of perspective, hasn't it? And think about something else. Um, yeah. If it's anything like me, I, I thought running would give me the chance to mull over things. But when I'm running like faster runs, all I can think about is, right, one more kilometre to go or one more this. And it's, it sort of pushes the worries to one side. So like you say, when you come back to it, you are, you're, you've had chance to think of something else, which means it's not so consuming. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask... Have you always been a morning person? And I am on the quest to become a morning person. How do you become one? <laughs> yes, I want to know this too. I think parents all around the world want to know, Mark, how do we become morning people? I, it's, I don't know. I, it's the answer. I've always been Dad, like that, I think. Sorry, I, I can't give you a... Yeah, this is what you need to do to be a morning But um, I think I've just always been like it. I, I'm quite happy to... I mean, equally, I'm quite happy to go to bed at like 10 o'clock. I've realized I'm starting to accept that in myself. And, and you know, Simone will be downstairs still. She's a bit more, she'll stay up a bit later. But I, I will happily go upstairs, even if it's just getting into bed, to be fair. But, and then I will, I'll, I think I just, even when it's being creative in the morning, um, I find that I, all, all of that, it comes a lot easier, you know. Right. Um, I'm not saying the earlier I get up, the more creative I am, but I'm saying that I'm just a bit more awake and I'm a bit more in tune to to what I need to do maybe. And and I think, to be fair, I've just always been like it, I, you know, since I was a, a child. And and funny, my son, Otis, he, he I think he's the same because he's generally up quite early as well. So right. on a weekend, we'll... we'll yeah, school day is different. You know, he'll 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 oh yeah get up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on the weekend yeah, we will both find each other downstairs. You know, um, early. Oh, that's lovely. We've got yeah. um, all of us, but one uh, not morning people. We all sort of roll out grumpily. But my youngest, he he'll happily get up as early. Well, he's banned from getting out of bed before seven o'clock. <laughs> he, he'll have to. He'll go downstairs and make himself some cereal and watch watch whatever trash he watches on TV. And he's really happy. And then we all appear two hours later, bleary eyed. How old is he? He's ten. Oh, same age as Otis. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the 13-year-old or nearly 13-year-old is savage if you wake him before 10 o'clock in the morning. So, Yeah. Yeah. Mark, can we we talk about something that actually, you know, I think we can all relate to here, which is grief, which is something you talk about a lot. And and I know that you you go, you know, TV, radio, on your podcast and also on your Instagram, which, you know, your quotes are very, very uplifting for me at the minute. I'm going through quite a few losses we've lost three people in 14 weeks yeah so it's it's um it's quite it's quite um hard it's hard time so this all stemmed from you know if you don't mind talking about it the the loss of your father at a very young age could you kind of share a bit more about that and how it's kind of in turn inspired you to help other people who were going through what you went through or what you're still going through yeah, sure. Um, 
yeah so my my story is kind of goes back to when i was 12 years old and, and my um my dad was murdered basically and uh um you know we lived a happy life in cambridge um you know just nothing that would sort of make you think that anything like this would ever happen but at the time we sort of had a a cleaner who was friend became a friend of the family but she was going through a very difficult end of um uh, divorce and he was very jealous and he checked her post and and in the end she had it di- redirected to our house and then my dad and my mum would sort of give it to her when she was with us or or yeah. we would go out to a house where she was and, and give it to her and then one day um she was cleaning at a house just outside Cambridge where where I'm from um and it, my dad popped around to give the post and then he turned up and saw my dad's car outside and thought he put two and two together and he went to a local supermarket and stole a boning knife and uh, went back to the house and my dad and the lady were having a coffee in the in the kitchen and um the guy sort of burst in they had an altercation then uh yeah my dad went to grab his briefcase and the guy sort of stabbed him um in the heart and then uh which killed him instantly apparently but then he decided to turn on him and stab him another 16 times and um turned on his wife and stabbed her twice but she managed to sort of get out of the house and and he was caught shortly after um but yeah I was at school and it was 10 past three in the afternoon and um I remember seeing a sort of member of staff come in talk to the teacher and whisper something then come over to me and said your mum wants you to go home and I thought it's strange because the bell rings at quarter past three and um I remember sort of grabbing my bike and cycling home as fast as I could and just being greeted by sort of police cars and strange people in our house, sort of detectives and my younger sister crying, who's sort of four years younger than me. Um, and yeah, my mum took me upstairs and said, dad died that's, uh, this morning. And, um, you know, and and world fell apart. You know, it's, it's actually quite funny talking to you today because next week, this time next week, it's my dad's anniversary that he died. So I... I um I subconsciously go through these emotions and these feelings yeah. with the build up and I don't it's funny because I don't sort of necessarily think about them or consciously think about them but over the last couple of days I've been a bit quiet a bit funny but then you know my Simone is always very good at sort of saying you know, you, 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 this is the anniversary coming up. Even this morning, I was kind of, I, there's this something I've got to do. And I was, she was like, look, wait until after, you know, wait until end of next week, whatever it is, yeah. until you do whatever you're about to do, because you got, you know, it, it's funny I'm talking to you today because it's actually you're the third person, and they say threes, that have sort of mentioned about the self care and that just sometimes it's about, you know, I'm not sure if I can swear on this. We're going, fuck oh, it. Oh, we don't swear. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes, fuck we it. swear. Do, so, do something for you. Do something for you. Yeah. And it's all right, you know. And um, yeah. I think yes. that's a really good phrase. I think it's accepting that you're not quite yourself because you've got to allow yourself to accept that this time feels different and impacts you without you even realising. I know myself I it took me a long time to accept it I mean um when my dad died I deliberately pushed the time the date of his death 
out of my head I actually still couldn't tell you the date my dad died I was I was 18 because in my head I didn't want to um acknowledge a day that made me so scared and sad um and I probably would have done the same with my mum if it hadn't been on my sister's birthday and the week before my mum's birthday and it wasn't until six months after my mum died where I felt awful I just woke up one day and I was absolutely exhausted and emotional and fluey feeling and everything and someone said oh how long has it been since your mum died and it was lit it was literally about six months to the day and they said that's just the grief it's just getting and I hadn't realized that and I felt like a complete um I just felt like a bit of a wimp or you know like I was milking something because I was like yeah but it's been six months you know it's not like a proper anniversary it's not this but sometimes your body conditions you without you realizing it doesn't it and it took me a long time it probably took me well again leading up to mum's um date of death people like oh I'm so sorry I was like it's it's not it's not a day to acknowledge it's not a day to acknowledge it's my sister's birthday Mm -hmm. let's make it all about her and I refused to acknowledge it and it's but my body still and did and I think my my mental health did you know I did go a little bit quiet I did get a little bit tired and a little bit more fuzzy Mm. so I think you're right you have to accept that no matter how much of a brave front you put up and think that oh I'm very much oh someone's always got it worse off than me you've got to go like you say so eloquently fuck it (laughs) (laughs) yes and accept it and I think that that just one sentence you said was very reminiscent of what I've learned over the last few months definitely yeah it's I think it's it's very it's strange talking about anniversaries because I've heard some people say that you shouldn't have an anniversary that you should focus more on their birthday or and other people have said oh no absolutely you know on on the anniversary of their passing you should light a candle well I, I always do I can tell you every date that somebody who is very close to me has died because it's important to me because that was the moment that they left that they weren't with me anymore so I think that is just as important as a birthday because it's their their death day it's their day that they they weren't in my life well they weren't weren't in my life I think they're always in your life aren't they but you know what I mean physically for me it's kind of symbolic I don't know it helps me I think yeah to kind of acknowledge that day and what happened um whenever it is my my dad um took his own life so um it was kind of a very different it's a very different grieving process I think with suicide which is that you are very very pissed off for a very long time I'm uh, 18 years since my dad took his life and still you know very angry very angry Mm. and I think yeah it's a very different kind of grief but I think one of the things that um I noticed on your social media the other day and I and I I was kind of clapping (laughs) which was when people say time is a healer Mm. and that um almost like you've got a time frame to kind of get over it and that's it now. And I think, yeah. you know, do, do you find, where did that come from? Where, Cause I'm like, yes, you're, what you're saying, no, you can't put a time frame on it. And you know, um, yeah, for, for many years, I kind of believed that, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, it's not true. It's not true. Like, why am I still here feeling how I do? You yeah. know, why this morning am I sitting at my kitchen table 
I got my head in my hands and I'm having a few tears, you know, and I'm not afraid yeah. to talk about it and, and, and say that it's because time isn't a healer, you know, yeah. you learn. And I obviously I say this all the time as well as, you know, I see it as like a coat that I always have to wear. You always wear your grief on some days it's lighter on some days it's heavier and that's okay. You know, and it's, and, and I think the more the sooner we realize that the sooner we'll sort of move away from that sort of stigma that, that creates mental health problems you know and that's why I'm so passionate about um supporting young people and children because I know and I'm sure you guys too is like the more you suppress it where does that where do those feelings go and I I know from first hand because I know where they went you know they went internal and they went inside me and, and they affected me for many years until I sort of found an outlet and I don't want children and young people to feel like that and I think as a country we we you know, we do tend to, we're moving away from it, but there, there can be that stigma still, yeah. When when did you realise, did you suppress your feelings to begin with? Because I suppose that that moment you sat on the, the bed with your mum, the whole dynamic of your life changed. Mm. Um, and did you, were you able to feel your feelings or did you feel a, a different responsibility to because I know when my dad died I felt a responsibility to sort of for want of a better phrase I don't think this is the right phrase but it's the only one that comes from my head to man up and you know mum was grieving so I was picking up the bills and taking them off to my room and paying them and things mm. um and so I sort of suppressed my feelings probably for a good 20 years until after mum died and that was as an 18 year old but as a 12 year old did you feel that pressure to to bury how you were feeling and if you did how long did it take you to realize that that wasn't necessarily the healthiest way to deal with it yeah in that respect I remember on the funeral and one of my dad's work colleagues coming up to me again you're the man of the house now okay. I remember I remember it I remember it so clearly and I'm stood outside the church and I'm looking at it all right then I don't see this 12 year old boy in front of you but you know, I'm not sure you're helping me here much but I think I think I realized there was something internal something somewhere else an energy whatever it was that pushed me not down the wrong path you know at school I I, I really did struggle and I I see it as a write-off because I you know I channel my anger and I get into fights and things like this and, mm-hmm. and actually the other day I spoke to um, my old form tutor because I'm currently writing a, a new book for 12 to 18 year olds. And, and so I'm doing some research and interviewing various people for it. But I thought, how brilliant would it be to go back and interview him and how just asking him what I was like and how he supported me? Because he, you know, and I always say he's like, have you seen the film Good Will Hunting with, yes. with yeah. Robin Williams? And he he was my Robin Williams. Like he, if I hadn't have gone, if I, he hadn't have sort of talked the headmaster and said, no, keep him in, because I was nearly expelled a couple of times. And it's funny, on this interview I did with him, he said, look, I realised that we had to, even though we were in a school, we had to kind of forget about education. We just needed to support you as a human being. And and um, and if we had to keep, keep pushing you, then we don't know where you would be now. And so... I think towards the end of my secondary school years, I realised that if I if I didn't shake off the vengeance that I had towards this man that ruined our lives, then I wouldn't be sat here talking to you now. I wouldn't wouldn't be writing children's books. I, I, you know, who knows where I'd be? And so, 
yeah, it was, it was a quite, quite, a, quite a big decision for a young person to make. But I kind of, I, I had to, I had to make, had to, had to lose that guy in the back of my head and mm. say, yeah. "You're over there, mate." Otherwise, I don't know where I'd be or what I'm going to do. You know, so I had to kind of, I had to let go of what he did. And, and if anything, be more angry that I just didn't have a dad anymore and that he wasn't here anymore and be sad about that. Um, Refocus your grief almost. You were almost grieving at the wrong thing in a way by the sounds yeah. that you you were, fo- again, maybe you were projecting a little bit so that you didn't have to do the the grief about your dad. And yeah. anger's, anger's a lot easier to deal with than sadness, isn't it? Yeah, and... And again, I'd suppressed that for, I think it was 25, 26, and I went and saw a counsellor from Cruise. And, and and I remember getting to the point of saying, no, I need to go and talk to someone. I haven't spoken to anyone for many years, if anyone, to be fair. And so sitting down with that lady for six weeks and just weekly meeting up, however useful I thought it was, um, was useful and I and I managed to just sort of get all these thoughts and feelings that I'd suppressed over the years and then again sort of fast forward 10 years later or whatever when I wrote the article for the Guardian that was hard that that was probably one of the hardest things I had to do because I had to delve into all the newspaper clippings and really sort of go back to the dates and what happened that day and I remember it was obviously a cathartic process, but it was uh, it was difficult, you know, because I really had to sort of. Well, there were things that you you just don't you you kind of put to the back corners of your mind, like you guys know, you know, you, you just yeah. remember those little things, yeah, yeah. And that they're the things I'm going to hold on to, and but that wasn't the case. Obviously, I was looking into what you know what he actually did, and anyway, so. Um, that, but, that must have been really traumatic because that's kind of reliving the whole. Yeah. And especially so much later as well. As time's passed, you, you, you kind of almost imagine a different story in your head. And yeah. so going back to that must have been incredibly hard. It was a bit like uh, rewriting the narrative in terms of what had happened, I guess, you know, and uh, seeing it from an adult with an adult head. I guess, but yes. not the 12 year old boy. Mm. And um, I don't know. I think, if anything, I just felt more sad for my family. You know, if I was an out, a bystander, because you forget, you forget what it looks like from outside. Or you can't, obviously, it's not possible. But in terms of um, seeing it from that perspective was really difficult. And that's what made me the most sad. And I remember writing it, you know, in bits at some point points but at the same time that was a good thing because it was just releasing these emotions and these feelings that I had that I had suppressed for so many years but at the same time that kind of kick-started a journey as to where I am now and realizing that I have to keep talking about this I have to keep sharing my story to help others I have to post I don't have to but obviously it helps me as well as others on on my Instagram you know because more often than not the things that I write is how I'm feeling you know and 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 I it's uh, and it's quite a powerful and cathartic thing. Do you have a lot of people reach out to you to say, "Wow, what you're saying makes sense. Thank you, thank you for speaking sense." And do you have people come to you saying that they've really, you've really helped them, even with just you know your posts and, and your podcast? Yeah. Yes, I do, and and it's it's incredible. 
I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes people share these horrendous stories, you know, and, and I mean, they're not saying they go into details, but just, just the sheer story of them and how sad it is. And, and, yeah. and so, um, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I have to take, take a step back and say, you know, take your time on that one or, you know, because you want, I, and I'm always very conscious about responding you know, because I know that if I reached out to somebody, I would like to know that they've at least read it and then, you know, digested it and then hopefully respond. So, yeah, you've always got to be mindful of what you say back because I, <laughs> I'm i not a bereavement counsellor. I haven't qualified. I think, you know, but I've lived the experience. And I, and um, and so, yeah, it's really powerful. And, and the podcast as well, where, yeah, people just, you know, to, to, to think that someone's sort of been on a walk and they felt really shit and then they feel a lot better because they've heard somebody else talking about yeah. a subject yeah. that they don't know how to um, articulate themselves. I it's, think it's know, um, um, a very British thing, do you think, to have that stiff upper lip and uh someone's so someone passes everybody tells you how sorry they are and send you some flowers and some cards and then a yeah. few weeks later you're expected to kind of write okay on we go onwards onwards uh time yeah. to time to carry on and I do I kind of I do think it's a very British thing a very kind of yeah that uh we don't I think we're getting better <laughs> As a, as a as a you know united kingdom getting better at talking and expressing our feelings we need to learn a bit more from the americans i think um but we do you find that do you find that that echoes with people that come to you that it's people kind of almost i know like we've we we lost well we lost i lost my mother-in-law new year's eve four weeks later i lost my nan who was a bit like my mom you know i was very very close to her and then four weeks after that we've lost my uh, father-in-law which is such a lot and I know yeah. that people understand but I also I know Amy and I talk about followers and things and I don't I try not to look at figures and people who follow me but during the time that I lost people I lost about 500 followers it was almost like like yeah that's really boring now that people have died <laughs> and we're a bit bored with the fact that you're a bit sad can you come back and be funny again and can you come back we want the fee that gives us the parenting advice and the, and the one that's funny in her stories but I'm not feeling particularly funny right now and people I don't know do you know what I'm saying it's what it's probably what generates that um the phrase toxic positivity isn't it when because I know I I'm very guilty of when I'm feeling my absolute worst trying to turn it into um something funny or amusing um I don't know if it's deflecting or whether um but what it is but I I do think it's a natural reaction because of how I think the I think the world's changing I think if there's one thing that COVID has done for us, um, it's allowed us to admit something's a bit shit. Mm. And I think we went through a phase um, of not feeling like we could admit that something was a bit shit. And I think we all actually grouped together and said, this is shit. Homeschooling is shit. Wearing masks is shit. You know, everything is just a bit shit, which I hope will run into real life and allow us to say about our own circumstances I mean Mark when it's a huge responsibility it must feel like a huge weight the fact that 
people tell you their story because I know I automatically did it when I messaged you about coming on here I instantly told you oh and um, how helpful your feed had been because it, it's quite funny your feed fell off your your account fell off my feed when my mum died I have a mm. feeling it's because I was in that head in the sand don't really want to acknowledge my feelings I'm just gonna drink a lot of alcohol and eat a lot of pizza and pretend I'm fine because that's what I think I should do um but when it came back on, I don't even know when it came back on, it was very reassuring. And so when I messaged you, my first thing was to say how much you'd helped because I'd lost my dad when I was 18 and my mum recently due to cancer. Mm. And if I'm one person doing that, multiple people must do that to you. And how do you, because you said that sometimes you have to step away, but are you good with the boundaries? Um, we talk a lot about boundaries and how that's part of looking after yourself because that that's what self-care is to us. It's about resetting ourselves and looking after ourselves and being ourselves, um, in, in my opinion, and putting ourselves first at times. And I think people are very guilty of not putting themselves first. Yeah. Have you always had those boundaries or did you reach a point where you realised you needed to add some in? Um. Yeah, it can be a huge weight. I think sometimes I, I, I do find the ability to just sort of step back. Um, and also because I've been doing it a little while now, so, you know, it just sort of, I, you do sort of get used to um, uh, receiving a message. Like, I'm not, it's strange because, you know, I'm not desensitised to it. But at the same time, because I've been talking about this subject for the last couple of years, um I I think I thrive on the responsibility. I think it's I feel it's something I feel passionate about um, to just to, just to help somebody, you know. And because you know the the difference that you can make to somebody. There was a young girl who messaged me the other day and said that she'd lost three members of her family to murder last year, and. I, I, obviously I didn't go into detail, but she told me that. And I'm just, there's something hugely powerful. And, you know, and I, and I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a religious person, but I am someone who believes in energy and we're all here to do something. And, and if someone feels comfortable to tell me that, you know, I, firstly, I sent her a voice note back and, and, and I, a part of me was like, okay, listen, you need to remember you're not a trained counselor here, but you have learned such amount over the last couple of years of how you can support somebody and the words that will sit right and help them through this time that they're through you're going through you know it doesn't mean you're going to be chatting to them every day but one message can mean the world and she got back and she was like just thank you you know thank you for getting back to me thank you for uh for listening and i think that's more often than not that's what people want they want to know that you've they've just been heard you know yeah. or like you like you did you know you just told me a story very briefly, not going into detail, but that's what we've got to get back better at. It's yeah, just feeling, sure. com feeling comfortable to, to just obviously not tell any old stranger on the street, but, but just to, you know, just to say, look, this is how I'm feeling. This is, you know, because what, this, this, yeah, sorry. Well, what would you say to someone who's trying to support someone through a hard time so you know your friends your family are going through the loss of somebody or um you know again I know you say you're not a trained counsellor but your experiences of what you've dealt with and how people have supported you what would you say people can do 
to help their friends? I would just say, just let them know you're there. Firstly, you know, just say, I know you're going through this shit time and I'm here for you. You know, um, if you want a day where you want to be on your own, that's fine. You know, send them a text in the morning. How you doing? Do you need anything? If they respond, no, then that's fine. Just leave them to it, you know. But the worst thing you can do is isolate someone by by your awkwardness, you know. And I said it before, and it's just don't leave them stranded, you know, because, and actually someone I interviewed for the podcast was like, the best bit of advice that someone has said is there was a friend after her brother had died in a motorcycle accident and said, I'm not going to be here right now. But in six months, I'm going to come back when everyone's gone and they've, you know, the, the sort of the, the grief wave has, has, uh, has, has gone through, then I'm going to come back to you. And that's when you're going to need me, you know? And, and I think that's, that is, that is, that is such, those words were so powerful and they meant so much because I remember as a 12 year old boy, just feeling stranded, you know, not, not through any fault of my friends or my family members, really, because they just didn't know what to say or do. And that is where we fall down. And so just let them know you're there, you know, the practical things, cook for them, you know, make them some foods, drop it around. But, you know, it means the world because then they don't have to do it and you don't have the energy normally, you know, like we were talking about earlier with this morning and me and it's funny today, I had my own podcast interview for my podcast earlier and, and, and I was like, oh God, I've planned all of these things on a day when I'm feeling funny. But if anything, it's kind of really sort of lifted me up, which is great. So just finding space to talk to someone, yeah, whatever you're talking about. Is, I, um, think, yeah. I think that's really, really good advice because I think the biggest thing is people fear saying the wrong thing when actually there's probably very little wrong that you can say as long as you know like you say even if you just say I don't know how I can't make this better for you but I'm here for you it that's fine I think I think that's often what why people isolate um it's because they don't know what to say or how to react and they don't want to make it worse but actually um it it you I think as long as you reach out, that's like you say, that's the best thing you can do mm. rather than you suddenly leaving them to question who they can turn to. Yeah. Sometimes um, you, you don't always want to turn to the same person. You might want to, you might need a, a different perspective or a different angle or a different experience or a, di- a different friend who does deal with it in a different way because you might have your sweary friend or you might have your friend that you cry with or you yeah. might have your friend that like you say you just rant at and it lifts you up that way exactly yeah it makes perfect sense and actually uh, Simone's dad died back in January and <laughs> I feel like I've been counseling her mum but um we have chats and I'm like how are you doing today how are you feeling today oh, you know, all these people coming around and she's afraid to go in up the shop because she sees someone who's going to have to talk about him and what's happened and all of this. And I have to remind her, I was like, you know, I mean, it's firstly, it's nice that people, I think she's happy that she can close the door on the world and that she's just there and she's pottering around and she's doing her thing. But I sort of say, look, it's nice, you know, if someone wants to make you something, some food or whatever it is, you know, just let them um, because it's their way of showing that they care, you know, and I, and I say to her that you'd be worried if no one called, no one popped around, you know, that's when you need to sort of be. So 
yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is through, through any walk, through any age, through any walk of life, you know, is we we sort of we we appreciate that just a little gesture, don't we? Definitely, absolutely. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Mark, and you've made me feel wonderful and kind of feel like I can tackle this grief head on. Where can people <laughs> find you if they want to know more? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Lemon Official. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Lemon Drop Books. Um, you can find our books at lemondropbooks.co.uk. Um, they're also on Amazon. And then the podcast, Grief is My Superpower, which is on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. I'm hopefully going to release the new series soon. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of building up to episode 10 of that. So I'm hoping very soon we'll get that out there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's probably the main places. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I need a little time for me to just be free of the day.